0: Episode 314, January 4th, 2018.
1: You're listening to a 4x4 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready?
0: It's the G-Talk Show. With Tammy on Wrangler. Tony and Josh on Cherokee. So sit back. Grab
2: in
0: and your
3: Local Jeep news, national Jeep news, and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. And This Week in Jeep is brought to you by Amazon.com. Jeepers, when you turn to the almighty interwebs for that instant gratification in buying parts or accessories for your Jeep, be sure to use our link first, would you? JeepTalkShow.com slash Amazon. You'll be taken straight to Amazon.com where you can get exactly what you need or want for your Jeep. And the Jeep Talk Show will get a tiny little kickback for your efforts. Oh, it's the perfect New Year's resolution. Anytime you shop online, use JeepTalkShow.com slash Amazon. And thanks in advance. Well, let's just file this one under best intentions, shall we? We all know the East Coast is getting just nailed right now with bitter cold and tons of snow and ice. And it's a little town in New York where this cold, some ice, and a Jeep all come together. For this story the city of tonawanda new york has an area that is roughly the size of two soccer fields ives park skating pond off of delaware street is a two and a half foot deep pond that is dry and is used for soccer games in the summer in the winter it's deliberately flooded to create a spot for ice skating way back before they had refrigerators a private business filled up that pond in the winter just as they do today but took blocks of ice out of it and sold the blocks to people for their ice chests Well, nowadays, the pond, when frozen over in the winter, is typically cleared of any fallen snow by those who want to use it by grabbing their skates and shovels and, well, getting to work. Well, over the last several years, it's been cold enough that the City Parks and Recreation Department has been able to have some of their lighter vehicles in its plow fleet come and clear it for the local residents. Unfortunately, the driver of said vehicle, a 2016 Jeep Wrangler in this case, attempted to do this the week before Christmas, when things may have been cold, but not as cold as they are right now. The city had filled the pond earlier than it had done in years past, and while the ice hadn't fully set as thick as it needed to, then, well, the snowplow-equipped Jeep went crashing through the ice. The driver, Fred Sparks, was uninjured, according to police, but according to Mayor Rick Davis, the city-owned Jeep JK with the plow package appears to be a total loss. What's funny is that this was not the first time this happened. It seems like every so often we have an apparatus that falls through, Davis said. Apparently, the city has had such a problem with its drivers going over the pond and falling through the ice that they have limited the task to ATVs since they were easier to recover and less expensive to replace. I guess the driver of this Jeep, Fred Sparks, didn't get the memo. Well, a little-known Jeep lawsuit is now over. A Jeep Wrangler heating and air conditioning lawsuit is finally over, at least for the three named plaintiffs who filed the lawsuit against Fiat Chrysler FCA US. Plaintiffs Joseph White and Willem and Donna uh, Mordian allege that the 2012 through 2017 Jeep Wranglers suffer from heating and air conditioning problems because of a sludge in the radiators, heater cores, and oil cooling systems. According to the Wrangler lawsuit, FCA uses sand casting to manufacture certain engine parts, a method that uses disposable sand molds to form complex metal parts from alloys. The rest of the engine components use die casting, including the engine blocks, but the automaker used sand casting for the cylinder heads. The plaintiffs say that any excess sand will seep into other engine components unless all the sand is 100% completely removed from the cylinder heads. The lawsuit alleges sand can circulate through the cooling system and settle in the radiator, oil cooling system, and heater core. This causes sludge in the bottom of the radiator and reservoir that ruins the heating and cooling system. According to the plaintiffs, normal maintenance does nothing to fix the problem because the sand and sludge is in the bottom of the radiator where flushing doesn't work. In July 2013, William and Donna Mordian released a new 2013 Jeep Wrangler. But by October 2016, they said the Wrangler blew cold air instead of heat, causing the windshield to constantly fog. When the Jeep had about 33,000 miles, a dealer found sludge-like residue in the radiator and oil cooler. Dealer said it would cost $2,600 to replace the radiator and oil cooler and the heater core, but nothing would be covered under warranty. The plaintiffs huh. say they finally talked Chrysler into paying all but $300 for the repairs. Plaintiff Joseph White purchased a 2013 Jeep Wrangler Limited in 2013, brand spanking new. And in June 2015, White's air conditioning allegedly wasn't working correctly. So the dealer flashed his air conditioning controller head. However, when White says the problem re in 2016, the dealer fixed things by replacing the blower motor this time. The lawsuit was never certified as a class action lawsuit, but FCA and the three plaintiffs did settle their individual claims. But no details of the settlements have been released, nor will they be. Well, guys, I love a good dose of karma. So a guy starts his Jeep, New Year's Eve night, in the 4600 block of Shield Terrace in Sterling, Virginia and he leaves it running while he goes back inside his residence for a few minutes to wait to, for it to warm up on a night when the temperatures dipped into the lower teens but when he comes back out no more than 10 minutes later the jeep was gone now, obviously the man did what any jeeper would do spat a string of cuss words that make a sailor blush wish the thief's underwear suddenly be filled with the fleas of a thousand dogs and then called police alas while en route to the victim's home to finish filing the report the deputies from the local county sheriff's department came upon oh, a vehicle no. engulfed in flames. Oh. Yep, you guessed it. It was the same Jeep that was, had been reported stolen. There were no bodies at the scene, and it appears as if the thief got away. However, authorities are claiming there was enough evidence collected that an investigation into the incident has been initiated. Although this isn't much consol- consolation for the Jeep owner, and karma hasn't exactly been served yet, So we'll just now, for now, hope that uh, this Jeep thief at least lost an eyebrow in the blaze, if nothing else. Well, it's a new year, and that means lots of new Jeep stories are on the way, Jeepers. If you have something we should report on or you have a response to any one of our stories, be sure to let us know. Send us an email to info at jeeptalkshow.com. And, of course, a big thank you goes out to all of our fans and loyal Jeepers out there who sent us stories in 2017. You guys rock, and I really appreciate the help.
4: So you know that, that loss that you were talking about? You mentioned um, one of the things they fixed was the blower motor. Right. Um, When I run mine, my heat, um, it makes a high-pitched noise.
3: Yeah, that sounds like the blower motor.
4: Yep, at certain um, positions on the knob. If I turn it full blast, it will go away. And once it's heated up really, really good in the Jeep, it'll stop. But it's hmm. so annoying. I really need to just go in and get it fixed, but I'm just too lazy.
0: Well you know the thing that always concerns me is whenever they get in there uh, to fix things, sometimes they they don't put things back the way they were from the factory or they break something else in the process right and you get into this endless back and forth to the dealership and uh, you know if you if you work at a dealership if you're uh, if you work on the vehicles, You know, maybe I'm talking out my ass, but it's just just (laughs) something that's happened to me in the past and stuff I've heard about. It was years ago, so maybe it's better now.
3: Well, I'm sure well, it's yeah. not
0: the rule of thumb. I'm sure it's more of an exception.
3: Right. I'm, I'm sure that the majority of dealerships out there have reputable service centers. You know that that, that are you know looking out for the the Jeep owner's best interest. But right. there are those shops out there that you know are the bad apples in the bunch. And and clearly, you know, we're going to run into those every now and again. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, mine's like a Mine's
4: an hour and a half away. So.
3: Oh boy. So, yeah. Tammy, yours falls into this year range where, I mean, yeah, like I, I said, this wasn't a class action lawsuit, but you have to be wondering in the back of your head if you're going to be a victim of this. Now, I don't know how many miles you have on your Jeep, or and you live in cold climate, and yeah. you know, so you're going to be using your heat a lot and whatnot. Have you noticed anything other than you know just that, that whine in the motor that would lead you to believe that you might be a victim of this same issue?
4: Well, th- something I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but the last time I was at Adrenaline Off-Road, we were in the engine because um, I got my oil changed, and then we were just looking at other stuff, and Jeff was explaining stuff to me, and um, there was no radiator um, fluid in the radiator container. The overflow, yeah. Yeah, and Jeff said that the is it the purple radiator? Is that the color of it? The the fluid? Well, Oil whatever purple?
3: color or, or, oh no, you're talking about the orange. actual radiator fluid itself. Orange. I think it's, I think maybe it's, it's orange. orange. Yeah.
4: Yes, orange. Okay. So he said that he has seen problems where they leak on, you know, the Wranglers, and you can see the orange, you know, crystallized, you know, mm. fluid on yeah. the radiators. So we were thinking maybe that was my problem, so we got underneath and looked, and so now I'm just watching that. Because some guy who brought their Jeep in, you know, had that issue. I don't know if they're all tied in or, you know, but...
0: um, Well, I think you can get some evaporation from that overflow. I don't know the design of the JK, but I know on the the XJ and the TJ, uh, it's mainly closed, but it's not completely closed. So some evaporation can occur. And I think especially during uh, uh, summertime, whenever it's very hot outside. So it's, you know, the radiator is something that you, you do need to monitor, The overflow is something you do need to monitor and uh, put in the uh, antifreeze, probably the 50-50 mix, uh, you know, keep it to the the full cold or full hot level. So, it may just be as simple as that, Tammy.
4: Right. So, I've just been watching it and, you know, my heat's awesome. Yeah. You know, those so far, knock on wood. I only have 22,000 miles on my Jeep.
3: Oh, okay. So, yeah, you're still still breaking it in almost. Yeah. (laughs) As far as that goes. Yeah. Well, hey, Jeepers! Later, coming up here later in the show, we've got such a positive response after he was on the last time that we just had to invite Anthony <laughs> from Tread Right Tires for another interview. He'll be joining us in a little bit. And next week, make sure you're subscribed to the show as we'll have Kelly Buttrick back to tell us how her journey has gone in her attempts to be the new voice of Jeep.
0: Hey, you can help get the word out about the Jeep Talk Show. You're on Facebook, right? Well, I bet you're a member of several Jeep pages. Well, ask permission first. Wink, wink. Then post about the Jeep Talk Show on those pages. Just direct them to www.jeeptalkshow.com or tell them to install the Jeep Talk Show app on their phone. Or else. So uh, I know you were uh, expecting a uh, another episode of uh, uh, Jeep Tips with, with Steve tonight. It's getting kind of interesting, especially whenever you start talking about using AC compressors as uh, an, a... a, a Air, Onboard compressor. air compressor. Yeah, on, on board yeah. air compressor. Right. Uh, but we're going to switch gears tonight and go back to Wrangler Extreme uh, with Nate in his final part six of Wheeling with Kids. This one's going to be, I think, exceedingly interesting and fun because it's an interview with his oldest daughter.
1: Very cool. Yeah, it is. Hey Jeepers, this is Nate with another edition of Wrangler Extreme. I'm going to finish up our Jeeping with Kids segments with a little bit of fun tonight. I'm going to have an interview with my little girl, my the oldest of my two daughters, uh, the one who's been out off-road with us the most often, and the one who could probably actually get through an interview, because the youngest of them is three. <laughs> all right. So, without further ado, here's the interview. Okay. I have this very beautiful little girl with me tonight. Can you tell me what your name is? Kira. Okay. And how old are you? Seven. And how long have you been going off-road with me and mommy?
2: Five or four.
1: Five or four what? <laughs>
2: Months.
1: <laughs> months? Oh.
2: I mean years.
1: You mean years. <laughs> okay. And do you like it?
2: Yes, no. I do.
1: What do you like about it?
2: I get to go with my family. It's bumpy. And it's bumpy. Oh. <laughs>
1: okay. What else do we do when we go out off-roading? Camping. We go camping. Do you like camping? Yes. What do you like about <laughs> camping?
2: We could sleep in our tents and cuddle up with our family.
1: Oh, yeah? Oh. What about that one year we were at when it was really cold? How was that?
2: I hated it. I was freezing up like an ice ball.
1: Yeah, you had to climb into into the cot with me, right? Because you were too cold that night. Yep. What about the other people that go with us? What do you like? What do you think about them?
2: They they are cool.
1: You remember who else goes with us? Chico. Chico, right? Who else? Jay. And what do we tell you about Jay?
2: Call him Sweet Cheeks.
1: No. What else do we <laughs> tell you about about how Jay talks? Don't repeat anything Jay says, right?
2: Yep. <laughs> yeah, he says bad words. No. <laughs>
1: what? So, do you learn anything good when we go out off road? Yes. Can you think of anything that you've learned? What about what do we do with our garbage when we're out on the trail?
2: Throw it in a bag.
1: In a bag, and then we bring the bag at back. The bag back with us, right? Yep. Do you know why mm. that? Do you know why that is?
2: Because there's no garbage bags.
1: Right, and we don't want to, we don't want to what? We don't want to leave garbage in the woods.
2: You do not want to litter.
1: Right, right. Because then it ruins it for everybody else, right? Uh-huh. Right? So what about, uh, what about the harness I put in the Jeep for you? Do you like that?
2: Yep, I a little.
1: Does that make you feel better when we're out on the trail? Cause yep. Because you're, you're in real tight and you can't fall out? Yep. Yep. So what about when we're at home? And I'm working on the jeep in the garage. Do you like to help out in the garage? Yep. Yep. What do you, what do you like to help with?
2: Fixing things.
1: Fixing things. Okay.
2: And helping Dad fix his jeep and clean and clean tires.
1: So, what do you think? When you get old enough, do we have to get you a jeep too? Yep. What color jeep do you want? Purple. 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 Yes. Like that.
2: <laughs> yep. Sparkly purple. Sparkly purple. With a little bit of black
4: streaks. Yeah, with a little bit of so black. So how
1: would you feel about Daddy selling off some of your Legos to buy Jeep parts? <laughs> no. No? No. Oh Why not? You like your Legos? <laughs> yep. I've I've heard from someone that you can, you can get a lot of money out of Legos. All right. So you have anything else you want to say before we close this up? Bye. all right a big thank you to kira for our our interview tonight (laughs) that was awesome it is a button just cute as a button
3: (laughs) i loved that (laughs) oh man i I got the biggest grin on my face right now that that is just awesome nate if you're listening to this buddy thank you that was awesome and kira what a lovely little interviewer just perfect (laughs) that's awesome
0: yeah, so uh, I'll be stealing some of those things so that uh, she had to say for drops in the future.
3: <laughs> yep, yep. Call him Sweet Cheeks. Yeah.
0: You gotta be kidding
3: me!
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is priceless. Man. Last that time I would priceless. go in the woods with that guy.
3: <laughs> oh, no, seriously, I'm not wheeling with
4: Nate. No, <laughs> no. I'm Ever. I'm talking about Sweet Cheeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he brings Sweet Cheeks with him. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Good times. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network podcast. If you haven't been to the 4x4 Radio Network website, you're missing out on the web's premier destination for all your off-road podcasting needs. Just visit 4x4radionetwork.com and learn more about the 4x4 podcast, the Center Steer podcast, Trail podcast, and you'll, of course, find us there, too. That's four X4 Radio Shut up and listen. Shut
2: up. So shut up. You don't shut up.
4: Shut up, Shane. Hey.
3: <laughs> shut up and listen.
2: It's time for Wrangler talk. It's time for G-Mama.
4: So with the new year, I've been looking back at, you know, my Jeep life the past couple of years, and I just remember first becoming a Wrangler owner how quickly overwhelmed you become with all the different Jeep accessories that are available and then all the modifications that are just so endless. There's so many different aftermarket companies out there. It's just so overwhelming and it's very hard to know where to start. And when I first bought my Jeep, it took me a couple of months to realize that there was all this Jeep stuff out there. And once I realized all this cool Jeep stuff was out there, I was like a kid in a candy store and it was just really paralyzing to me to figure out, gosh, where do I start? What do I buy? You know, I'm, you know, my head was spinning. And so in the years since, I've learned quite a bit from my experience, my online research, and all the stories that I get from other Jeepers. And knowing where to start is the first step. So I go with the be prepared motto. And Tony and Josh, I decided to start this new year out with a series, and I'm going to call it five must-haves. And so each week I'm going to focus on a different five must-have. And since there's so much out there, it's good to have the basics to build upon with these five must-haves. So that's where my series is going to start this week tonight. My five must-haves, and the starting point is going to be be prepared. And these are going to be the five must-have kits for off-roading. Now, remember, this isn't everything. It doesn't include everything, but this is a good place to start and to build upon, especially when you're a new Jeeper and you're just overwhelmed. You just need a good starting point. So, and these are in no particular order. Now, the first one is a road safety kit. Now, everybody, whether you drive a Jeep or a Prius or a Honda Accord, everybody should have one of these in their Jeeps. Even if you don't go off-road, you should carry this. Now, just a couple of quick items I'm going to mention because I'm going to focus on this more in the upcoming weeks. Some of the items in this kit could be jumper cables, a jack, a lug nut wrench. The second kit I suggest is an airing down or an airing up kit. Now, in this, you can include tire deflators, and I really like the JT Brooks tire deflators. And as a matter of fact, well, I'll save that for... Um, Camp Fireside chat. So keep listening. Um, Also, you should probably have a tire gauge. And if you carry a digital one like I do, because for me it's easier to read, um, make sure you carry extra batteries. And then a good thing to have, especially if you air down in a place where you can't get air to air back up, you should bring a portable air compressor. Now, the third, and like I said, this is in no particular order, is a recovery kit. This is very important when you go off-roading. And your recovery kit can contain so many different things, but a good place to start is a toe strap, maybe a tree saver, some shackles. And again, later this month, I'm going to share my top five must-have items you should carry in this kit. And if you don't want to piecemeal your kit together, you can go online. ARB, for example, makes it easy with a pre-built Pre-built recovery kit. So the number four kit is off-road shoes. Now, these aren't shoes for your Jeep. These are shoes for you. And the right kind of shoes are important when you're out on the trails. Personally, I like my Merrill hiking shoes when I'm out on the rocks and the rugged terrain in the woods. Um, On the beach, you're going to want something different. And, of course, on the wet, muddy trails, you're going to want a good pair of rain or mud boots. Now, the fifth must-have kit is your toolbox. When you're off-road, you're most likely going to break down in some sort of fashion or you're going to run into somebody else who has broken down. And it's a good idea to have a toolbox with you with tools that you would use to fix your Jeep. And like I said, in the upcoming weeks, I'll share your five must-have tools in your toolbox. And I'm sure Tony and Josh will chime in on all of these from their experiences But anyway, I just wanted to share my five must-have kits that you should have when you go off-roading in your Jeep. Coming up later in the show, if you have ever considered buying new shocks, you'll want to stay tuned. We have a definite guide to picking out the right shock for your Jeep in Tech Talk.
0: Shocks are so important. Uh, Boy, it'll really make your your day a lot different if you have a bad one or a couple of bad ones. Yeah, really though. Well hey Jeepers, if you're
3: looking for a source of Jeep tech info, how to's and gathering a fellow like-minded Jeepers, all that, then head over to our forum. Really cool place guys, JeepTalkForum.com. Once there, you can engage with other Jeepers, ask questions, get answers to your questions, check out pics and read about events, mods and all that sort of stuff. You can even find some stuff directly here that you've heard on the show. And if you're worried about how you're going to be treated like those other forums, nah, don't worry, there's no flaming, no making fun, and of course, no such thing as a stupid question. Whether you're brand new to the Jeep world or you're on your seventh Jeep, there's something for every Jeeper at JeepTalkForum.com. Well, hey, guys, coming up here, we've got some reviews. We didn't get a whole lot of response here over the holidays, guys, but in the last couple of weeks, we've gotten some great reviews. We're going to share those with you now. And as always, we always read all of our reviews regardless of how they come in or where they come in. And, of course, <laughs> if you'd like to leave a review yourself, well, you can do that in a number of different ways, iTunes, Facebook. uh, YouTube, I mean, pretty much anywhere where you can find us, you're going to find an ability to leave us a five-star review and, of course, leave us a comment. And it's those
0: comments that we always read here on the show. Tony, who's up first tonight? I think this is B4J4. I'm not familiar with that, but maybe it's just a personal thing. Uh, Five stars, great show, good info, and entertaining. I have an 05 TJ that started as an X model and is now way beyond that of the TJ Rubicon. I love my money pit. Uh,
3: yeah. <laughs> that they are. Good name. Aren't they? <laughs> well, we got one here from our Facebook account. It came in from Kenneth G. Give us a five-star review. Says, love the way the host banner back and forth. All in good fun. Don't give up the red-black Jeep thing. I've got a 96 Red XJ and a 2016 Granite JK Rubicon.
4: Learn a lot from the show. Keep up the good work. And from another podcast on the trail podcast, they wrote us and said, just wanted to say we gave you a shout out on our latest show, number 36, about having over 300 episodes. It's in the last few minutes. Great job. And we know all too well what goes on putting a show together. On air is the easy part. It's behind the scenes and planning that takes up a major chunk of time. Congratulations. And Kevin and I wish you many more years of entertainment. And that's from On the Trail Podcast. Go check them out.
0: Episode 36. Can you can you imagine? I remember back then.
4: <laughs> were were you even a were you in around then, Josh?
3: Uh, uh close to that, probably. Close to that, yeah. I think I I came in shortly thereafter. Wow. I, but uh, but yeah, I, I was, I'm I'm OG. <laughs> You got tech questions? Ah, oh, what do I ever? We have answers. Oh, that's good, because I can. I... It's Tech Talk with Jeep Talk. All right, Jeepers, time to get those pencils and papers out, because I'm about to edumacate you. How can something as simple as figuring out which shocks are right for your Jeep can be so perplexing? The problem is that they all look basically the same from the outside. The most important technical data that would help you choose wisely is, well, generally proprietary to the manufacturer. They typically keep that stuff under lock and key pretty tight. While you can attempt to pry the technical data from certain shock engineers with interrogation and bribes, I doubt you're going to get very far. So in my best efforts to bring you the best tech answers, here's the Tech Talk guide to selecting shocks for your Jeep. Another few terms that you need to be familiar with to understand what it is you're looking for in a better shock. Compression is the ability of the shock to control or resist being compressed. This has the biggest impact in ride quality on and off-road. It's also what helps keep the tires planted on the pavement as you go around corners. Not that that is usually a priority for our off-road Jeeps or those who like the occasional burnout, but still. Rebound is how the shock extends. When you drive over a pothole or something like that, a shock with a soft rebound will let the wheel and tire drop quickly, while stiff rebound drops a little bit more slowly. The last term is valving. You'll hear people talk a lot about stiffer or softer valving in a shock. This is primarily describing the mechanism that lets the oil and the shock go past the piston. Typically, shims of various thicknesses are attached to the piston to make it easier or harder for the fluid inside to move around the piston itself, affecting both the rebound and the compression. Almost every shock out there has a 60-40 split in the percentage of flow with the 60% compression resistance and 40% rebound resistance. Not that you need to know all that for buying your next shock, but it's interesting nonetheless. Well, it's all about the tube. The first level of separation in shock design is the twin tube and monotube design. In other words, twin-tubed shock design is the older technology. It's been used in generic passenger cars as the stock shock technology and is good enough for low-performance vehicles with stock tires riding on primarily paved roads. The hydraulic oil and gas, usually nitrogen gas, are mixed together in the same chamber. These are often called hydraulic shocks. There's an inner tube in the shock construction where the rod pushes up and down against the oil and gas mixture. There's also an outer tube that acts as a reservoir. The, their shortcomings with these shocks are that they overheat more easily and are prone to aeration. That's when the fluid gets a ton of tiny air bubbles in it and stuff, which causes them to fade. Now, as you work your suspension harder with heavier wheels, tires, and axles, you'll exceed like, the limits of this technology on your Jeep very quickly. Monotube shocks have been around for quite some time, and they are generally considered the higher-performance technology. They're often called gas pressure shocks. The primary difference is that the hydraulic oil and nitrogen gas are, are, are in separate chambers within the same tube and are separated by a piston that floats up and down inside the tube. Nitrogen fills the chamber below the floating piston while hydraulic oil fills the upper portion that the rod and piston travel through. Shims on the oil piston re- restrict flow around the piston adding resistance to movement making the shock stiffer. But these run cooler. They have air—they don't have the aeration issues and generally can handle a lot more punishment. Bottom line, well, you know, if you're having to separate between, choose between the two, you're definitely going to want these type of shocks versus the other monotube is the way to go of course there is another one a variation on the monotube design is the remote reservoir shock these have a separate canister that holds additional gas essentially enlarging the body of the shock sometimes the piston the piston stack is moved from the tube to the remote reservoir which improves up travel for a given shock shaft length remote reservoir shocks originated in the off-road racing industry where standard shocks would overheat or completely just blow out even when running multiple shocks at each corner of the vehicle An additional benefit is the ability to better control the gas-pressurized function of the shock through a larger volume. It's kind of all about buffering. Well, another variant includes adjustable shocks. That adjustability is definitely something to love. The original adjustable shock in the off-road market is the Rancho RS-9000. Well, actually, it was the short-lived RS-7000, but we don't count those for how short of a time they were offered, and the fact that you you probably can't even find one nowadays. The latest version are called the RS-9000XL. And they are a shock you won't want to quickly dismiss. These shocks have a tri-tube construction, a pressure tube with a rod and piston move, a secondary tube, and a reservoir tube. It also has a knob at the base that lets you dial in your preferred ride quality, adjusting both compression and rebound by restricting the fluid flow from the secondary tube to the reservoir tube. Fox also offers something like this. It's an adjustable shock with a knob on the remote reservoir, but these really just adjust compression only and don't offer the kind of adjustability and flexibility that the Ranchos do. The Fox internal bypass shock looks a little different from the adjustable Rancho as there's an outer chamber that routes the fluid through the body to the bypass canister. This is not to be confused however with twin tube shock design. The oil and nitrogen are separated in this Fox design. RRD shocks from Rock Crawler are a more traditional bypass design with a hose connecting the primary shock to the shock body to the reservoir canister. A couple unique qualities of RRD shocks are hard anodized bodies and Nitrotech steel shafts to hold up to corrosion better than just about anything else out there. Well, when it comes to mounting and installation, nearly every aftermarket shock uses polyurethane bushings. These last a lot longer and deflect a lot less than rubber. And they generally are impervious to fuel and oil and the kind of stuff you'd find uh, coming off off, off the road. Some even have steel inserts. With the insert, you can tighten the shock bolt to a whopping 65 to 85 foot-pounds. Without the sleeve, well, you're going to want to use a nylock nut and don't tighten the mounting bolt so much that it compresses the bushing start affecting performance at that point well which way is up common question guys because monotube shocks can be mounted with a reservoir on the top or the bottom many while the manufacturers will tell you that twin tube shocks must be mounted with the reservoir on the bottom there's reasons for this guys there's a lot more that goes into selecting the right shock for your jeep guys now that you know more about the terminology used in shock design and how these things work and we're a little bit better equipped when we head to actually buy those new shocks There's one more critical bit of information needed before we actually make that purchase, however, and that's determining length. Next week, we're going to finish off our guide to selecting shocks with the proper techniques needed for taking the right measurements the right way for setting up new shocks on your Jeep. In the meantime, if you have a question about Jeep tech, mods, electrical, or anything Jeep related for that matter, maybe just need some advice on the build, shoot me an email to info at jeeptalkshow.com with a subject line, Tech Talk. I'll answer your question directly. I may even select it to answer here on the show.
0: I've got a technical question for you about shocks. uh, By all means, Josh, Um, why do they call it a shock?
3: Hmm. Well, you know when you (laughs) go over, you know, on the road or whatever, and you hit a bump, that's a shock. It's kind of a shock your system or whatnot. Shock
4: (laughs) absorbers.
0: Tammy's got the answer. Uh, no electricity involved no actually a serious question oh and i think this all has i think i know the answer to this but uh, there may be some out there that don't um why do they uh cut holes in the floor uh like on cherokees uh so that you can put a, a shock loop up higher and so you can have a much longer shop is that all a shock is that all about droop so that you can flex well, the the rear end more, or you're
3: half right. It, it it is about travel. It's about suspension travel mm-hmm. and and the ability to run a shock with a larger reservoir, and that's going to give oh. you you know some better control over that rebound and compression. And when you when you have a longer shock, you can stuff that tire up further. And you know a lot of guy a lot of lift kits and everything they'll want to make you sacrifice your up travel by adding bump stop. Right. Now, I've never been a fan of sacrificing the suspension geometry uh, for the sake of stability. You know, the suspension is meant to flex and a flexy Jeep is meant to crawl. And so if you're starting to eliminate your ability for your suspension to flex, to me, that's, that's biting off your nose to spite your face. And so with a longer shock, you don't have to bump stop as long as you have the clearance, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're, not, you're not using the shock as a bump stop. And, and so in and that kind of we'll get into, the, into a bit of that next week when we get into measuring and stuff like that. But essentially, Tony, that's what it's for. You're, you're half right because it, it's both for the compression and the rebound.
0: Excellent. You're listening to Jeep, Jeep Talk, Talk Show. Show, the number one Jeep podcast. At my mom's house. From around the world.
2: Or from your city, and sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor! It's the
3: Jeep Talk Show interview. And tonight with us, we have a familiar voice, Jeepers. You might have heard him back on episode three zero two. That's three zero two. We've got it with us tonight again, Anthony with Tread Right Tires. Anthony, thanks for joining us once again. Ah, uh, thanks for having me. Now, a lot of people who maybe are just joining us, they're new to the show, they haven't gone back and listened to episode 302 yet, they may not know about Treadwright Tires or what Treadwright Tires is or what they do or anything. Can you give us a, a synopsis of, of what Treadwright Tires is really quick and what you guys do?
5: Sure. Um, you know, we specialize in just light truck uh, SUV products. So it's all mud terrain, all terrain. So your standard F-150 Jeep or SUV. Uh, So most of our customers are all just like your listeners, a lot of backcountry folks, fishermen, hikers, camping, uh, beach goers. Um, What makes TreadRite unique is the fact that we remold all our tires. So we actually recycle the casing, um, and it's a soft tread compound. It's manufactured very similar to how a new tire is produced. Uh, So TreadRite tires are actually the most uh, recycled, uh, environmental-friendly tire on the market. Um, and it's also uh, one of the least expensive. Uh, but the great news is because of that, we put all of our R&D into tread compounds and our mud trains will do 40, 50,000 miles and our all trains will do 50, 60, depending on road conditions. So uh, definitely the uh, American made light truck tire uh, in the US for sure.
3: Yeah, I read an article recently saying that the uh, the recarcassing or you know retreading industry is one of the greenest industries really going right now. Um, and you know just because you guys are 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 you know reusing stuff, much stuff you, you're putting out, uh, you know recycled materials and stuff. I mean, essentially, it is recycled materials. Are you guys using post-consumer stuff other than just the carcasses itself? I mean, is the actual compound created from post-consumer product, or is that all new?
5: No, the the recycling element, you know, that gets you uh, 40 or 50% of the recycling is all in the casing itself. So we use just premier tier one casings. You know, that's Michelin, Bridgestone, Firestone. But the tread rubber that we put on it is the same rubber that goes into the Goodyear or Michelin plants. So that's how we're able to get those really high wear rates uh, because we don't use soft, inexpensive compounds that you see traditionally like imports. So those who've right. never tried to ride on a federal tire and got 17, 18,000 miles out of a mud train. Um, we're getting the same suppliers that use that rubber because mold cure is the same process that's used in new tires, which really separates what we're doing. Cause a lot of folks are familiar with that pre cured glued on kind of stapled to the tire retreading that's in commercial trucking, but well, I wanna... remolds the tire uh, sidewalls. It's a brand new tire sold on Amazon, Walmart, and our website so uh, I want to get I want to get into uh, that
3: retail presence I want to get into that manufacturing process you touched on there just a second ago here in a minute but I wanted to sure. ask you really quickly about that tier one and you, you mentioned off a, a a series of what we would consider reputable tire companies you know manufacturers that we all know we've all heard of we've seen the commercials etc now I've been familiar with tread tires for many many years you guys have been around you've been around the block quite a quite a while and I had a friend that was uh, considering these. I'm, I'm going to say more than 10 or 15 years ago. I mean, this had to have been early 2000s, uh, if if it was anything. Yeah. Um, and he was looking at at Tread Right tires, and I actually had talked with somebody there. And the general consensus was the BFG carcasses were the best ones. Now this might have been older technology. We're probably talking about the old, um, the old all terrains, the old KM1 designs and whatnot. But back, you know, 15 years ago or so. TreadRight Tires was synonymous with BFG carcasses in that if you called up and and you know had requested a BFG carcass, you'd be getting the best product that TreadRight Tires was putting out at the time. Now I don't know if the things have changed or not, but you you mentioned that tier one list. I didn't hear BFG, so is is BF Goodrich no longer considered a tier one tire?
5: No, the um, I kind of use the uh, BFG in Michelin, so BFG is considered their tier two brand. Um, kind of like Goodyear has a premier tire and then they go to Dunlop and Kelly. Uh, you got Bridgestone and then Firestone. All of those are considered premier. Um, actually one of the best casings that's out there today in the light truck market is actually Toyo. Um, I would say probably 70% of our 35 inch series is all built on a Toyo platform. So, uh, they used to do that because it was so widely produced and they used to make, uh, the the mold actually to just do the tread so they would leave the bfg sidewalls and they yeah. used to do that so they could match casings uh, but the way tread does it today is we actually remold the, the entire tire so you get four brand new tread guard dogs or axiom product but the platforms have actually expanded within that tier one because a a michelin mold that Then they go make into a new design that becomes like a BFG platform, but mm-hmm. all of those are built with just fanta- fantastic technology. And Toyo, I would say, um, not to uh, irritate my friends at Goodyear, some of my old buddies mm-hmm. from back in the day, but uh, Toyo <laughs> makes one of the best light truck cases in the market.
3: Now, that, I wouldn't say, used to be always the case. I mean, I, I know that the Toyo tires, you know, many, many years ago were synonymous with, you know, very fast wear. Uh, they didn't last. They had a soft compound, which sure was great on the road and everything. But, you know, once you got onto the gravel and and in the backcountry roads and stuff, they started wearing very quickly. Now, obviously, over the years, t- tire compounds, you know, the the technology uh, gets better and and, you know, the manufacturing process gets better and all that. I would imagine that even you guys went through some growing pains over the years in determining what works and what doesn't and what's better than, you know, maybe the next thing.
5: Yeah, we, we've we actually uh it's been about three years now, um since I bought TreadRight tires that we went to a full B2B lineup and we've had a couple of uh changes to our mold compounds and we're even looking at it today because believe it or not, some of the numbers I gave earlier is you know, getting up to seventy thousand miles on our all terrains. Um, in the winter areas or the folks that are up in the Michigan and Minnesotas have said that it's a little stiff. So we're actually trying to soften that up a bit to give a little, I mean, it'll wear a little bit less, but it'll perform a little bit better on the ice and snow for our um, all season capabilities. But it's something we're always balancing um, because obviously we're not a big enough company to make sort of an all season winter tire versus, uh, you know, a rugged, I'll call it West Texas train with a lot of rock and gravel. So we're always trying to find that good balance in that all season capacity. Uh, But we, we definitely, Move to where because that's what the company has the name on. Is we've we've always bought a tier one rubber compound. So the only complaint I can say that I that I've never heard on a tread ride is the fact that it does not get the mileage. Um, it's something we pride ourselves on, and something we could probably take back a little bit for those winter characteristics. But uh, we like our reputation in terms of uh, lasting out on the road.
3: Let's what get back could- to what I, I'm sorry, Tammy. Go ahead.
4: That's right. I was just what qualities is do you consider being a tier one tire
5: Um, well you know it, it there's a couple of actually it's a tier one tier two and tier three and I'll use Goodyear as kind of an example when they talk about how they cascade technology Goodyear is obviously the premier product and then they have a Dunlop and then they have a Kelly brand and they tend to call those tier one tier two and two tier three and I would say 80 or 90% of our tires come out of that tier one, tier two group. Um, and it's just because of how those casings are built. Because when we remold the tire, we've got to put it up to um, 300 degrees because we've got to cure the entire tire. And I'll give an example because our, our staff actually tried to remold a federal mud terrain and actually blew up in the mold. About oh, wow. How thin and terrible that those casings are from some of those imports so one of the reasons that we have to stay in in sort of this premier and premier is probably the better way to put it a goodyear dunlop or kelly casing is fine uh similar to a bfg or a michelin and all those are considered sort of premier brands Um, what we can't use are any of the import brands just because their their casings are just too thin and those that have tried to drive around on them know that from the wear they get, um, the balancing they get, and the performance. And since TreadRide doesn't rebuild the casing, um, we have to build our model and our brand on existing technology. And so, obviously, we trust those uh, those brands that I described.
3: Well, speaking of that existing technology and whatnot, I wanted to touch on on, on something that you had uh, just briefly mentioned. Um, about you know, kind of you know, recapping a tire and whatnot. And we've all been driving down the freeway, and we see those th- those semi truck tires, and and pretty much just the outside of them has flown off of the sidewalls. And we see you know bits of rubber and tread, and sometimes you know half a tire laying on the freeway or on the side of the road or whatnot. You know, th- that's what people generally think of when they think of retreads and whatnot. How does the technology that's applied to those semi tires that we see falling apart all the time differ from what you know TreadRide is doing?
5: Well, the a real simple way to look at that is the fact that they it's called pre-cure versus mold cure. And a pre-cured rubber is one that's already been molded and is stiff and is actually cut to the width of the tires. And they actually splice them, glue them onto the tire, staple them, and then put them in a curing chamber 20 at a time to cure. And that's what traditional pre-cure retreading is. And that's where TreadWrite does not have any of that technology, where we're actually wrapping a soft extruded mold cure compound, just like a new tire is actually extruded and put and pressed one at a time. Uh, So the tire comes out individually perfect to that mold. Um, And those are two major differences in what people see in terms of standard pre-cure retreading versus mold cure. But actually, the Washington State of, uh, or the Washington Department of Transportation did a study on what they found on the road and highways. And actually, what they found was that on the road and highway that you see out there, there's an equal number of new tires as well as retreaded tires.
2: Oh, wow. But the
5: actual number one and number two reason for the failures is low air pressure and obviously running the tread uh, at too low of a tread depth. Uh, but they actually studied thousands and thousands of uh, casings and rubber that they found on the road. But it was an equal distribution, believe it or not, between those were new tire uh, scrap that you saw.
3: So we've talked about a little bit about you know casings and and manufacturing processes and whatnot, and we've gotten into you know tread compound, you know that sort of stuff. But I wanted to touch a little bit on sidewalls. Now you mentioned that you guys are primarily you know light truck, small truck, and whatnot. Does that mean you don't get into like the you know the E D rated sidewalls, you know, those big towing tires that you're gonna see on, you know, F three fifties and whatnot, the guys that are out there hauling the toy haulers and and you know, towing the big, you know, uh, the big trailers and stuff like that. You just don't offer a, a strong enough tire for that or, or how does that
4: work?
5: Well, we, we do in some cases. We uh, we're we're kind of con- you know constrained in the fact that what we make has to have enough volume coming through the recycling centers in the United States to get back to us to actually remanufacture, uh, because we know there's a huge contingent of price point import tires that we just can't touch. Yeah. Um, but most of our tires are actually E-ply, um, or 10 ply tires load range. Um, uh, I would say probably 80% of them. Um, and we have a couple of commercial applications, uh, in a 245 series, which is a 19.5, uh, which is using some commercial uh, specifics, but a lot of the duallys and stuff that run um, 80% of our stuff has load capacity for those applications.
3: All right. So, you know, even if a guy is running a full size truck, you guys might have a tire size that's going to work for his needs. He's not going to have to worry about, you know, hauling the, the camper trailer up to the mountain this weekend because the tires actually can handle it, even though they are a retread.
5: Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we have a lot of P metric, right? There's still some folks out there that like to run on a four ply or have a very light pickup truck. Uh, but most of the folks that actually ride Right are hauling trailers and carrying load and doing construction and may have horse trailers and all of those types of applications. So in a lot of the sizes, we'll carry CD uh, and E load ranges. So everything between the six and eight and the 10 ply.
3: Now, is that something that, you know, is in a drop-down menu on the website if somebody wants to order? Or is that kind of a special order thing they should probably call and talk with somebody to make sure they're getting what they need or want?
5: No, you can actually check it out on the website. You know, uh, some of the more common, uh, you know, the newer vehicles take that 275, 70, 18. Right. Um, you know, we carry that in P metric and e load range. So you'll see them on there. And they're very well identified by series. Or if you want to look at the 35 series or 285, you can actually just load it by size. And then it'll give you the three load range applications, whether you want a oh, soft ride and you don't pull and you want a P metric, or if you want an
4: E-ply,
3: a uh, 10-ply tire. Now, you hey, guys it, aren't... Go ahead, Tammy. I'm sorry.
4: No, it's all right. I was just going to um, ask Anthony. So, the, since the last time you talked, is do you have any new exciting... You know, tire news, are you guys having any new product, any new tire sizes coming out?
5: Yeah, um, actually, in the next, uh, we we hope they come in from Italy. Uh, Obviously, the design and the technology is not as predominant in the U.S., so we have to import um, our molds. But we're actually getting in a start of a new 37-inch size for some of the folks that like those larger tires. So we're getting a 37, 20 um, we've got a new 305 5520, um, and then we're getting the very popular, which is the 275 5520 and 6518s that'll be in Axioms, uh, which is a uh, kind of an all-terrain in those, which are some of the lighter uh, pickup trucks uh, and SUVs that are out there. So, and after that, we're going to have three more additional sizes. So each quarter, you know, we like to keep telling people that there's, you know, there's 300 light truck sizes. So TreadRight's not big enough yet to have 300 sizes, yeah. Uh, but we're getting close to having about 75. So each quarter we bring in some new ones, and those are the new sizes uh, coming in the next month or so.
3: So speaking of tire sizes, there's a, a common question that I keep getting, and I keep seeing on the on the forums and whatnot that I that keeps popping up over the years. That I see more often when when we're talking about TreadRight here, and that is why you guys can't keep your 33, 12, 15s in stock. <laughs>
5: yeah the uh my investors would like to talk about that too. um we We put a good investment into the thirty three inch series, um so much that we have a thirty three fifteen, a thirty three seventeen, a thirty three eighteen and a thirty three twenty, which, as the jeep folks know, is a pretty a popular size. yeah uh, what we're running into is we get um, uh, we have contracts with uh different recyclers around the country. And we're working to find the right geographical areas that get more of those 33-inch. Because, again, we've got to have a premier casing to be able to remold um, and provide back. And uh, we haven't got a lot of those in. We sell out so fast. So we're actually working our supply chain to be able to get more of those premier casings in to be able to build them. Because we've got the molds, um, presses, and plates for those. And Mm -hmm. we've just had great feedback on Amazon and Walmart um, and some of our major retailers, but we haven't been able to keep it out there just because of the supply. So we're hopeful by spring, we actually hired a new supply chain manager at the company uh, to just focus on that because there's so much demand for that. We built a great tire. And then of course we had to um, upset some customers because we just couldn't keep up with the orders, but hopefully we'll have that uh, better supply over the next eight or nine weeks.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, you know, that I've been familiar with Treadwright, it seems like every time I go on the website, you guys get it sold out, out of stock, back order, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, what I'm hearing from you is that this is something that's in the works that you guys are working on and that, you know, it's worth the wait. You know, patience is a, is a virtue and that you guys will eventually fill those orders and whatnot. How does one go about trying to acquire that? Even though you guys are sold out on the website, is that something that maybe you know a person could call and say, "Hey, I need thirty threes for my Jeep. Can you guys help me out?" Are you able to give them a time frame or a turnaround on when they could expect their tires?
5: Yeah, I'll give you the secret to that. Um, his name is Michael, right? <laughs> so I'll give you a first name. Uh, Michael Matthews is our customer service manager, and this is actually how it works. I'll give the secret to your key listeners Uh so if you call up and ask for Michael and you say hey look I'm really interested in these and I want to get in line um, he basically has a list of folks that have made a point to contact the company and say hey I love the product I just want to make sure I get in there and that's actually why it remains sold out because a lot of people will call in and because we're such a small company we we take those personal requests and he kind of keeps a list running and then when we he fills them out he puts them on the website and they pop up and then they're bought up pretty quick. But the key is uh, Michael Matthews customer service number on the website and just tell him you're super interested. And he literally keeps a notebook on a couple of those sizes for the Treadwright Loyalist. And obviously they get their tires first.
3: That's, That's awesome. awesome. You guys heard it here. Exclusive information on <laughs> yeah. the Jeep Talk Show, everybody. So, uh, we're going to, you know, that guy's phone's going to be blowing up over the next three months. But, uh, but no, there's, there's another question I wanted to ask you, Anthony. And, and this one's going to be maybe a little bit harder to answer and whatnot. Now, a lot of people may not know that you guys aren't necessarily the only game in town. There's a few other comp- couple, a few other companies out there in the states that are essentially doing something similar to what you're doing. I'm not saying they're doing exactly the same thing. They might have a different process or whatever. But you know what? What sets you apart from say like Genius Tires uh, out of South America now in the U.S. and Florida, or or Tire Recappers based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Both of them have some really impressive looking products. What would set you apart from them?
5: Well, um. You know, in terms of what you're seeing out of um, uh, this not u s you mentioned I think they're south American um, there's another company in Spain, uh turbo new and those uh, The only difference is really the uh, the tread compounds, so in those particular cases, uh, we actually will get better mileage, better wear resistance in performance because we're actually specifically designed for just this light truck application. So that's how we outperform any of the imports that are doing remolding. Um, tire Recappers isn't, isn't even really the same product. Uh, they don't go bead to bead. So they have the the sidewalls that they have to match up if you can even get matching casings from them. Um, you're always gonna see the buff lines because uh, or peel because they don't go all the way down into the bead. So you're basically getting just a mold-cure cap, uh, but you're getting a used sidewall. So each of your tires is going to look really worn. So that's a big difference what they do. They don't remanufacture the tire back to the new state. Hmm.
3: Really good information there. They shouldn't sell their
5: tires new or be in Walmart or Amazon or any of the, the retail channels that we're in.
3: Are you guys exclusive to Walmart, Amazon as far as, you know, retraders go?
5: Um, yeah, we're the only ones that are remolding inside of those channels, so we don't have, you know, it, it'll come, right? Is some of the the European suppliers obviously run a lot of product, um, and they could obviously go through there, uh, but we're the only company and the only U.S. company for sure that does remolding in the retail chain, whereas out there in a significant uh, business development standpoint, you know, because we've got City of Boston. Big Sky Ski Resorts. Um, so we're out there dealing with some. We actually have a, a proposal in for the Vail Ski Resorts as well, in addition to Big Sky. Um, you know, that's actually going out in that the uh, commercial spectrum either.
3: Very good. Very good. Well, you guys all ship out of the same facility. Is that right? Is it, does it all come out of the same warehouse? Or, or do you guys have multiple places around the nation where you guys can ship from?
5: Well, we have multiple ship locations now Do. Due- hence selling out of 33s all the time. Um, So we've had to actually, because Houston is such a distance from Southern California, Oregon, Maine, Florida, um, we've had to put three distribution centers in that are actually also have the ability to sell Treadwright locally in their retail market, which is uh, Denver, Kansas City, and Boston. Uh, So we have a lot of business up in the Northeast, obviously because of the Rust Belt. And then once we get those established, we're going to go to uh, uh, either Southern or Northern California and Atlanta. So we're looking to do three more distribution centers after these are launched.
3: Well, wow, that's amazing. So you guys are even in the, in the stages of, of growing and, and developing and, and, and coming across the nation more and more. Well, it sounds like we're going to be seeing a lot more of Treadright, uh in the future. And especially with you know the availability of, of local retail markets, that's... That's something that definitely perked my ears up. And so if you guys are any in those those three cities that he mentioned, uh, really consider looking up the information seeing how you guys can go in there and actually see some tread right tires in person.
5: Uh, yeah, please check it out because, uh, you know, right now we're a uh, 35, 12 and a half, 20 mud terrain, uh, or even in all terrain uh, is running about 180, $190 retail and that's free shipping anywhere in the country. Uh, and the new Axiom's, work out great. Cause that's what I'm currently uh, riding on my Jeep and they've been just awesome.
4: Oh, you have well, a Jeep. What kind yes, of Jeep?
5: Uh, we've, we've got it all. We, we have everything but the wrap now. So we got our six inch lift. Uh, we got the thirty five twenties on there. Um, since I do a lot of driving back and forth to work on the highway, I went with the all trains. Um, so I didn't have as much of the, uh, road noise. Uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been great. Um, had the vehicle for, for a couple of months now. So
4: what kind of Jeep is it?
5: Uh, um, I've got a red Wrangler, uh,
4: oh.
5: uh, four door. Um, so we're, we've been, uh, taking it and tearing it up on the beach. And so we're getting ready to start taking it to events. Um, you know, they have a great go topless event down here in Houston. They get about 4,000 people, um, down oh, at the beach one. for that every year. And that's an event we sponsor. So we're trying to get our vehicle and the brand out to some of these events. So um, that was one of the first vehicles that we actually uh, put into the Treadrite fleet. And then we've got a, uh, a pickup truck going next so we can have a couple of different applications.
3: So if people wanted to, to check out the Jeep with the Treadrite tires on it, do you guys have pictures? Like an Instagram account? Is it up on the Facebook? Uh, where, where could people find you and where could they find more information about the Jeep that you guys are running? <laughs>
5: Yeah, uh, Facebook and Instagram, uh, I need to check on the event because they actually did a contest to name the Jeep. So you'll see that on there, and they've got some pictures of it uh, on the Facebook page. Uh, So it's there, Instagram, there's quite a few, or or the website itself. So uh, we plan to get a couple of Jeeps, actually. Uh, We find that that's really great to do outdoor shows in. Um, Plus, we can wheel around, and it's good for us to test the tires on. So people ask, hey, how does it ride on that? Um, You know, I did have some mud trains on it, too, that are great, Uh, and it drove excellent. It's just I like it a little quieter of a ride. That's a personal preference because I'm not in the the mud and gravel as much um, on my commute, and that's my personal vehicle.
3: Well, if you guys want to get a hold of them, info at com. If you have uh, questions or need more information regarding business accounts, becoming a preferred installer, becoming a retailer, a wholesaler, uh, make sure you email them sales at com. Of course, the website, com, and I imagine uh, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Just search for TreadRight, and you guys would be able to find them. Uh, anything else? Any other plugs? Any other news or uh, anything else we want to get out there for the peoples, Anthony?
5: Uh, no, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you guys have been great. You know, we appreciate you, uh, supporting our brand, you know, and getting this small American company, uh, out there. Um, so, you know, all I can encourage folks is please check us out. Um, great product, um, great service. Uh, you'll definitely love the, uh, wear and usage you get on the tire. So yeah, just check us out. Give us a call. If you love those 33s, call Michael and, uh, we'll do everything we can for you
3: outstanding anthony can't thank you enough for uh, hopping on again we had a great response from your first interview on episode 302 i'm sure this one's going to just knock it out of the park as well thanks again for taking the time to talk with us buddy
0: well josh thanks a lot for stepping in there and uh, being the primary motivator motivator of that great interview it's great from here to hear from anthony again at uh, tread right tread right tires
3: yeah glad to have have him on again
0: Right, glad to
3: have him on again And really a wealth of information there And and, I hope to be able to talk with him again in the future
0: He knows so much about the the, the tires that they make It's almost like he's president of the company (laughs) I think he is,
3: actually (laughs) You're right, the guy is a wealth of information And and of course, you know, every time we talk to him Find out something new about this industry that we didn't know before So, uh, yeah, a lot of good information there And Tammy, what did we learn about his Jeep?
4: That he wants to get another one (laughs)
3: that's not the
4: answer he was looking for. I know.
0: (laughs) Did you you see? No, no, you didn't see. I saw Tammy whenever he said uh, he's got a red Jeep. She just kind of drops her head down and shakes it. Oh, no. Here
4: we go again. I'm surprised you didn't play your little... I, I think
3: he did get a little ding, ding, ding in there or something like that. Yeah. But Yeah, there it was. There it was. Right, we, well, we balanced it out with, uh, with Nate's daughter wanting a purple Jeep. So, we, uh, yes. with black stripes. with
4: black stripes. Yeah. <laughs> from the mind of Nikki G.
2: Hey, this is Nikki G. And uh afraid I got a little bit of bad news. I uh, just came back from my doctor. And he said, uh, according to his test, I've got about, Six months to live. And uh, I said, Hey, doctor, is there anything I can do? And he said, Well, yeah, go to a spa and start taking some mud baths. And I said, Will that increase my chances to live longer? And he said, No, but it'll get you used to the dirt quicker. Oh. And before anybody starts sending their angry comments and voicemails, <laughs> just send all your hate mail to the Jeep Talk Tony, Show. Yeah. <laughs> Tony. Josh and Tammy. And uh, I guess I should say my disclaimer. Uh, the views and points of Nikki G are solely the views of Nikki G, not necessarily the views of uh, the Jeep Talk show, but they should be, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys and girls, I'll uh, chat to you later. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>
0: Does the laugh track help? (laughs) He he pulls out a groaner every now and again. It's just, I mean, above and beyond. (laughs) Oh, Wendy says the same thing. You must have needed this
5: every day. I need
1: it. It's the Jeep Talk Show's must-have stuff. Pick of the week for your Jeep.
3: Well, as we had uh, started off the show with a mention of how cold things are around the nation, well, uh, this would be just the thing you would need to uh, combat some of that, if you will. If you don't have the stock factory remote start key, the the Fortin that makes uh, makes a plug-and-play remote start for up to 2015 Wranglers, uh, it works great. Just press lock three times on your factory remote. And uh, it's pretty much a plug-and-play system, guys. Uh, this is available um, on Amazon. You guys can, you can get this thing right now. Uh, and like I said, plug-and-play. You don't need uh, any kind of a uh, you know, electrical degree to install this thing. And, and for under $130 with free shipping, uh, this gives you the ability to start your Jeep wherever it may be, whether it's the garage or driveway from your house or from your office or wherever you're at. As long as you're within a line of sight of your Jeep, you can remotely start it. And so on those mornings when it's like five below, uh, as long as that Jeep heater is set to be on uh, when you got out of it, you remotely start that from your living room. Jeep gets all nice and toasty in the driveway and uh, there's no more going out there and, and defrosting it and trying to climb into it. And oh, I got to scrape the windshield now. No, none of that stuff, guys. Get the remote start, plug and play a couple of plugs, tuck it up underneath the dash and you're good to go.
0: All right. Well, you know, there's a, something that has happened in Oregon, and I, I know we don't play this up too much uh, since we all know where we live, but uh, Tammy's in Maryland, Josh is in Oregon, and I'm in Texas. So we have a direct person in Oregon that can address... The new law that came into effect, oh, I believe, on God. January 1st.
4: And, and are we in like a time warp here? This is so bizarre. This,
0: <laughs> Seriously. Was, like, so so the, 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 the thing is, is that in, uh, in Oregon, you can now pump your own gas. So Ish. you can literally fill your tank with fuel without the assistance of another person. A lot of people think that they can't,
3: though. Um if you if you guys start looking I mean and you've probably seen this on Facebook, Chive, I mean it was, this is all over the web. I mean we yeah, Oregon is memes. the brunt. Oh god. <laughs> Oregon is the brunt of so many jokes right now in this and and really this only really applies to people out in very very rural areas. If the county has 40,000 people or less, then you have the option of pumping the gas yourself. Now Oregon is one of only two states in the entire nation that insists that they need to have somebody else pump your gas for you. And I don't know what the reason for it is or why. I mean, sure, it creates more jobs and all Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff, yada, yada. Uh, But honestly, guys, this isn't rocket science. But the (laughs) some of the... some of the thoughts that people are having about this: Oh no, I'm going to be stinking like gas all the time, and, and there's just there's going to be transients coming out of the woodwork to attack me from every angle, and and I don't know, the kids are going to get kidnapped out of the car, and oh, it's too cold, and my skirt's going to end up over my head, and I can no, see dude, the just, lady,
0: I can see the lady revving her engine, just ready to take off in case transients approach. <laughs> Lord,
3: I mean, it, it, it borders on insane how Weird. how people are, are treating this because. You know, for those who have lived in states who where you, you pump your own gas, or I mean, I mean, come on, you go and you buy your own groceries, you can sure the hell pump your own gas. Right? It's not that hard. But people are people are taken to this like it's the end of the world.
0: So some of the memes that I've been seeing is like this one lady looked like she was filling up her oil, uh, going to the oil uh, filler to pour the gas in. Yeah, is, is no, this and then, oh, actually no. happening, or are these just here's, here's clever what I, memes? Here's, here's the cleverest meme
3: that I like the best, and and it's talking about the green gas. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's horrible. <laughs> because now all, all, horrible. all of all of these, you know, these liberals in Oregon here who are so environmentally conscious are all about that green gas, and now that they can pump their own gas, they're oh, going to grab no. that green nozzle right into the car. You know, no, guys, that's oh, that's the geez. diesel.
0: Hey, I mean, you, you know what the green discuss- gas is, right? I know yes. what that is. Fine. Most everybody does. Yeah. All 40, well, 48 out of the 50 states know what that is. So. so let me do the disclaimer. Don't use the green gas. Josh just said it. That's not gas. That's diesel. diesel. And it will yeah. ruin your vehicle. Unless, of course, it's a diesel engine. Yeah, lots oh, yeah, of fun. The, the- the Memes
3: are uh, are just absolutely hilarious. So if you guys don't know what we're talking about, just do a quick search, and,
0: and the hilarity will ensue. Yeah, starting January first, twenty eighteen. Now you said uh, cities or whatever it was, counties that had forty thousand or less people. It's now the option. So before January first, twenty eighteen, it was not an option to pump your own gas.
3: Correct. If- it was mandatory that you had to have some. It was like against the law, basically. That you know you could. That is pump so
0: weird, gas. isn't it? It is bizarre. Well, you, heard, you guys have heard of blue laws, right? Where you can't buy like alcohol and, and used to be you, they you didn't even you could yeah, yeah. You couldn't even have stores open. Yeah, you couldn't even be open on Sundays. We had blue laws uh, in Texas uh, up until I was in my 20s. So Same it was like, I mean, right now, the only thing you have to go is, boy, I sure would like to have some Chick-fil-A. Oh, damn it. They're closed. It's Sunday. it's
4: Sunday. But that's <laughs> just because they're religious. Yeah, the religious the beliefs, owners, which, yeah. which
0: I think is great. Uh, right. But it's it's so funny, you know, you always think about having Chick-fil-A on Sunday, at least uh, we do around here. All right, well, t- great. Uh, thanks for taking all the fun out of the memes, Josh.
3: Yeah, well, you know, I figured, uh, you know, everybody's probably thinking that the entire entirety of Oregon is now having to pump their own gas, and it's not quite that way, even though I wish it was, but whatever. Well,
0: well speaking of pumping your own gas, uh, four-wheel parts kind of uh, gas you or something, didn't they? So y- you mentioned January 1st, and over the last, you know,
3: couple months or so you know the final phases of my of my rebuild on on my jeep has kind of been coming together and and i had for all intents and purposes had everything in line had all my ducks in a row uh for my jeep to be back up and running january 1st only thing i was waiting on last piece of the puzzle Set of a new set of rocker arms for for inside the valve train mm-hmm. inside the head there right or on top of the head, technically on top of the head but right um, and, uh, and pretty much anywhere you go and you know, I wasn't going to be spending the four hundred and fifty dollars on the roller rockers or whatnot and and pretty much anywhere you went the OE replacement option you know either Crown or Omics Ada or whatever um, were all pretty much the same around the same ballpark it was within about two three four dollars pretty much anywhere you went and so I opted for the convenience factor. Hey, I've got a four wheel parts here in my local town. Um, it's on my way to and from work. It's not that far out of my way to to pop by there and and pick something up. You know, we'll call you know right in the store there. It would have been very easy for me to do. Save on some shipping, all that sort of stuff. So, four wheel parts. I went fourwheelparts.com. Went to the website. I've done a lot of business with four wheel parts before. Love these guys. Love my local store. Ordered up the uh, ordered up the parts. Went through the whole process, you know, got the confirmation email, and you know, it's supposed to be a couple of days, and it's going to be in the store. and They give me a call, all that sort of stuff. I go pick it up. Well, a couple, a couple, few days goes by, and I decide to call Four Wheel Parts, saying, "Hey, you know, you guys have a shipment that you haven't checked in yet. Uh, you know, I was expecting some parts in, and I haven't gotten a call yet. Uh, what do we need to start looking this up? Name, number, you know, what, what order number? What do you need?" Um, so I talked with the guy. I was on the phone with him for about 10 or 15 minutes and, and gave him the information that he was looking for and whatnot to, to help me out. And after a little while, he's like, look, as best as I can tell, here's what happened. And that's, <laughs> not, a, that's not the way you want any conversation to <laughs> <No, out>. start. <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, basically the long and short of it is, is when I ordered it, it went to, you know, wherever you are at, wherever you order it from, it, you know, it, it defaults to the closest distribution center geographically to where you, where that order was initiated from. For me, it was in California. So out of their Northern California, um, uh, warehouse was where this was supposed to come and it directly shipped up to my local four wheel parts store. The order was canceled. And then re-established in the Idaho warehouse. <laughs> it was then determined that the Idaho warehouse also didn't have the parts, so they canceled the order and established a special order. And I was informed by my local four-wheel part store that I now needed to handle the rest of this through the corporate office. Good God. Okay, so the corporate office number I call. And I'm probably letting the phone ring for fifteen or twenty minutes I in that lovely on-hold music before I finally get a hold of somebody. I'm talking with the gal and, and I'm telling her the story. Hey, I just got off the phone with my local store, you know, all this sort of stuff, letting her know what's up. And hey, I've got, you know, this old order number that I was told is no longer valid. Here's my new order number. Can you tell me when I'm going to get my parts? Back on hold, I go <laughs> uh, five minutes later, comes back online. Are you with auto anything? No. No. Uh, could I'm be. I'm actually such <laughs> the Jeep talk show, but, you know. Uh, did you buy these through auto? No. I bought these through four-wheel parts. Through your guys' website, I'm holding the confirmation printout email right here with your logo right on the top of it. Okay, hold on a second. Another five minutes goes by. That lovely hold music.
0: Click. And,
3: and... Uh, <laughs> So finally, it g- gets back on, and she's like, well, um, you're going to have to uh, – she basically said that, that the order has been canceled. It's been s- established as a special order, meaning it's got to yep, come yep. directly from the manufacturer, and you need to talk with a manager at this point.
0: <laughs> oh, my God.
3: Uh, uh Okay. Well, they're not in right now. Um, we're on the East Coast. They're on the West Coast. They should be in in a couple few hours. Um, great, can I give you my information to have one of them give me a call back at their earliest convenience? Well, I'll transfer you to their voicemail. Okay, fine, whatever. Transfer the voicemail, leave a message, all the information that I could, that I could give them to make sure that they you know, have what they need, call me back. I'm supposed to get a call back that day. That go, day goes by.
4: The next day Not goes happening. by. Not happening. The next day
3: goes by. Four days later, I finally called and be like, what the F? What's going on here? So I call up the corporate number again. For 25 minutes, I am on the phone waiting to talk to somebody. After 17 and a half minutes, I get an automated message that comes on and says, oh, we're sorry for that you've been having to wait for so long. Your call is very important to us. If you'd like to redial your, um, your party, um, press 1. If you would like to be transferred to the voicemail of, that, of your party, press 2. If you'd like to speak to an operator, press 3. Well, press 3. I need to speak <laughs> to somebody right now. I Another chew five somebody's minutes. ass out. No, seriously. Another <laughs> five minutes goes by of that shitty hole on hold music, and I hang up. I can't take it anymore. They won. I call up my local four-wheel parts store, and I'm about ready to make some heads roll. I'm like, you know, an entire three-day weekend, gone. I was supposed to be doing some wrenching. I was supposed to have this Jeep running. Everything, you know, all my plans completely out the window. Where's my effing parts? Thankfully, whoever answered the phone was um, Tom, uh, the, uh, the local store manager at my uh, Portland, Oregon, four-wheel parts store. He's like, you are in luck. Your timing is impeccable. We actually have a regional manager in the store right now. Wow. Great. Dude, we got to make something happen. Hook me up here. What can we do? So he's like, hold on. I you know pull up your information, all this sort of stuff. So I give him the, the long and short of it all. Give him all the information. He puts me on hold for a few minutes, gets back, and he's like, okay, we've got some progress. Here's what's going on. So basically what had happened was this got bounced from one warehouse to the next. And and everybody was like, well, we don't have it. So we're just going to ship it off to the next warehouse. And it it was like, let's play past the buck. And it was just kept going down the line. It kept going down the line. And every time there's no check or balance to let the customer know what's going on. And so I'm just kind of held in limbo the entire time. And according to the store manager here in Portland, this really doesn't ever happen. Sure. Orders get mixed up, you know, warehouses, you know, supposed to come out of one warehouse it comes out of another and, you know, but nothing, it's never happened like this before where it just gets, (laughs) keeps getting passed down the line and the ball keeps getting dropped and and all this sort of stuff. So long and short of it all. Yeah, you should. (laughs) No, (laughs) unfortunately he couldn't do that. So what he ended up doing is, is uh, this was like a manufacturer direct shipment or something like that. So this came directly to their, their headquarters warehouse in, in Florida or something like that, which is the closest one to the manufacturer. That's getting drop shipped directly like overnight or something to, to my local Portland store. And it's supposed to be here be, uh, sometime here in the next couple few days. Obviously, you know there's a lot of you know, wheels to be turned, a lot of red tape to cut. And coming from Florida to Oregon, that's going to take a little bit of time too. So at least I have some light at the end of the tunnel. But my God you want to talk about the crappiest customer service four wheel parts corporate is a effing joke and they get the biggest thumbs down from me as far as what they do for their customers and how they handle complaints or customer service at all if you ever do business with four-wheel parts and i I highly recommend four-wheel parts as as a retailer they do good work and and the guys that work at the stores really know their stuff at least here in the local portland area my store, the guys there are freaking awesome. And they go out of their way to make sure things are going to happen for you. At least the, the manager at my store did. And, and he went out of his way to make sure that I was up to date, that I was informed, and that I eventually got things handled in the way that they, that they well, not with the way that they should. They sh- I should have had my parts on time, but you know, as best as they could in the, with the circumstances that were involving everything.
0: The, the company should have been taking the time uh, to do all the things that you did. And the biggest problem I have with that story is whenever you said, hey, are you going to have somebody call me back? Well, I can put you over to their voicemail. Well, here, I tell you what. You got my number. You call call and leave the message on the voicemail. And don't ask me about transferring me to the voicemail because it's called customer service yeah apparently it's non existent on a corporate level with a with a company like this so well i i it was New I, I Year's like New intend, year's eve or something right i mean it, it may have no, been no no
3: no this was this was uh i mean uh, I mean they had plenty of time. I, I forgot the actual date of the order i mean we're we're you know well past a week at this point, okay, so I'm I mean, thinking about
0: you know maybe they had a, a, a short staff or Something like that because New Year's was coming up or, you know, people were taking their two weeks off at the end of the year. But
3: the entire call division? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. No, I, so, I, agree. You know, I agree. Needless to say, I'm going to be uh, drafting up a very uh, sternly worded letter. <laughs> but no, really,
4: though. Were um, you upset?
3: <laughs> well, you
4: know, you tell. Uh,
3: but no, I, I really need to get this word out and, and let the people in corporate know yeah. that, that how much the ball was dropped on this and how little... Of customer service on the corporate level, they are really providing, uh, you know, at this point in time, and how much the local level of customer service far surpasses what the what the corporate level is doing mm-hmm. in the least bit in any aspect. Yeah. So I mean, this clearly is something that needs to be addressed. And and I love going over people's heads and and rocking the boat. So yeah,
0: yeah. it's on. I'm the same it's way. On. I will take the time to. Uh, I try not to make people's lives miserable, but I do, do, oh, do try to get yes, to the person. Mate. Yeah. I do try to get to the person to let them know that I'm not happy with the situation and not, that this isn't proper customer service and I shouldn't have to be wasting my time. And I always use the timer on the phone as, as far as I've been on the phone for 30 minutes and nobody has helped me with my problem yet. I'm tired of being on this phone, I got things to do. So, and this is something you guys should take care of. And I think we all understand that things happen occasionally. I'm sure Sure. you don't have really a problem other than disappointment as far as you not getting your rocker arms when you thought you were going to get them. But how that was handled as far as helping you, it it sounds like it was your problem and not their problem. That's the way it's kind of making me feel at least. Except for when I
3: finally got some customer service on the local level is when things really started happening. Now, whether or not that was only due to um you know the regional manager being there at the time i don't know how much that kind of went into play with making things happen um but uh but nonetheless i mean things are going to work out in the end but it, it's just you know up to this point it was a nightmare getting there
0: well listen next uh, week folks maybe we'll have a conclusion to this uh this story and uh maybe there will be uh some uh I don't know, monetary compensata- compensation, <laughs> compensation <laughs> for your, your the, just the time that it took. we'll to you a
2: sticker. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so Tammy, I'm curious here in the show notes, it says salty Jeep, and I, I want to
4: know, how do you know? Oh, it's so disgusting. <laughs> it's just, it, you know, I think this is worse than Josh's story. Um, well, let's hope the the amount of road salt they are pouring onto our roads is just ludicrous.
0: What are they calling this? Bombageddon or Shark yeah, Shark snow no, bomb, Snowdo, uh, or? I forget. I
4: forget. <laughs> Snowden. But the, the, but the funny thing is is we didn't get anything here but a dusting.
0: Oh, that's what you're really pissed off about.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, I wanted to try out my new dirt tracks. But, I, I mean, come on. You should see our roads are white because there's so much salt on it oh. there is a oh. sandbox of salt right here on our corner in our neighborhood you don't need to put that much salt down in our neighborhood we're going like 10 miles an hour you
0: need to get like a three foot wide margarita glass yeah do a youtube video where you're out there turning the, the big glass and the big thing of salt <laughs>
4: Um, got a six foot funny. blender yeah. <laughs> but it's just my Jeep is white. It's just filthy, nasty, salty, and everybody's cars like that. But that anyway, can't be
3: good. That, oh, I mean, gee. it can't be good for for any The
4: environment, no. And all it does is when it's gonna when it rains or when this snow melts off, it's all gonna wash into the Chesapeake Bay, which is our watershed. And the other uh, thing is, if you have a dog, you <laughs> cannot walk your dog on the street. You cannot walk because they get these little salt pellets in their paws. Um, it's just disgusting, and it's horrible for your vehicle. Oh, it just yeah. eats well, away. Out.
3: We need maybe need to, maybe we need to maybe call the uh, local city commissioner yeah. live on the air one of these days or something. Yeah, <laughs>
4: put what put them the, on the, the hell spot. are you thinking? What are you doing? I know. But the good news is, I bought some Jeep stuff today. Finally, after saying I'm gonna get them, I'm gonna get them. I bought the JT Brooks Tire Deflator Pros. Oh, you got the Pros? Okay, those are good. Those are
3: the good ones. Those are the ones that go down to like three psi. You got to be careful on those, Tammy. Though, Uh, you get anything you know below like eight or ten psi uh, without
0: beadlocks, and uh, things start.
3: happening I'm so. not gonna,
0: i was gonna not ask g- if the pros are the ones where they have to actually come out and do the deflation by le- legally they have to deflate the tires themselves
4: yes i get, <laughs> I get, a, I get, a, I get a i get a guy that comes with the, the <laughs> she, 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 she's got people to do guy. that. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm on a no,
0: podcast the, i have people to do that for me
4: <laughs> the, the reason i really like it is because you just simply dial in what you yeah. want your desired psi instead of you know, having to set them. So now I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do with my current ones. So maybe I'll have a little giveaway. I don't know. Maybe there I'll try to sell them. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Uh, first I first have to see if I like the, the pros.
0: So. I think you will. I think you will. So I'm I a, got good, got good reviews. So I'm going to whine, bitch, and moan again about uh, anybody oh, that That's has not a the Tony. I know an NP. Know. Yeah, my my transfer case is overheating, and it's keeping me from doing things. Oh. Uh no, no, I'm just kidding about the overheating on the Jeep that you guys loved hearing about for several years. Oh yeah. Anyway, oh, uh just oh, wanna put yeah, yeah. Throw the thing out there again if anybody's got an NP two forty two J or an NP two thirty one, uh, you know, like ninety seven plus uh uh model. I forget what the spline counts on those things are. You got one to sell, you got one that you want to uh send down here to to Texas as uh as a spare for my Jeep, I would uh be uh Loving it if I could uh, find one. I don't mind buying one. I just would like to be able to find one. Keep looking on Craigslist. Keep seeing nothing. Uh, you know, if you just do an MP231 uh, search and you don't tell it just for titles, you get vehicles that have MP231s in them. Yeah. You so, know, Tony, I've been uh, keeping an eye out here in my local area for you just for, you know, grins and giggles
3: to see, okay, hey, here's a, you know, here's one that you you just can't pass up. You're going to have to hop on this. Right. Um, but, you know, looking at shipping costs, trying to ship a, an MP231, oh,
0: Dude, <laughs> I'm, Very I'm not, I don't, I don't think I have that much in the account. So <laughs> yeah, I'll, I, I had a, a really nice guy, listener contact me and said, Hey, I've got two, uh, 242 J's. You're welcome to them for free. Uh, just check out the shipping. Uh, here's my uh, zip code. And it was like uh, three hundred fifty bucks. Yeah, you know, was for one
3: three hundred dollar range. And I was yeah. just like, "No, nah, man. I mean, come on. You could you could find one for less than that." So, and then that was on top of the one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty dollar range that I was seeing for for the ones that was popping up.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I uh, I checked into, uh, I found a local group. You guys may remember back in September, I believe it was. I found a a Jeep uh, fest or get together or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, just a few miles, within three miles, I think, of the house, and I was just so happy because I never know of anything going on in Houston. Uh, and I went over there and uh, uh, met some of the folks from West Houston Jeepers. If you guys are on the Facebook, you kids on the Facebook, check out the West Houston Jeepers uh, page, and uh, so uh, joined up that page. And uh, today, I thought, you know, I haven't. I've been looking for welding shops around the area, uh, in the Katy area, Katy, Texas. And haven't been able to find one, even with my uh, uber good searching skills on the internet. So I thought, hey, this is a local group, people here in in around the uh, the West Houston area. Let me ask them. So I I got about four or five uh, uh, places to check out. And, Not surprised. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, I just, it's just kind of silly. I just didn't do that uh, before now. Anyway, the the thing I'm hoping to get done is, uh, and uh, <laughs> Mark over at Detours USA just hates me for this. I have these really nice uh, sliders slash frame stiffeners that I yeah. bought from him years ago. Now these frame stiffeners don't wrap around the unibody. They actually are these big, huge rectangular uh, tubing uh, that uh, gets. Uh, Uh, plug welded and actually uh, bolted into the rear shackle uh, or the rear spring uh, bolt mount not all the way back but the first bolt so it it, it ties in there and there's a bracket up front that you weld onto the the unibody and then you put like uh, there's like three or four plug welds in the uh, the sliders and it makes the frame or actually kind of it really is kind of like putting a frame on the unibody and it really stiffens up the xj well, he says, you still don't have that thing welded yet. You're, make, you're making me look bad, man. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm just trying to find somebody that can weld these damn things on for me. So hopefully I'll get that done. Uh, I did run across one place uh, where they do, uh, I mean, the name isn't welding. It's, uh, it's about uh, uh, the uh, ring and pinion type thing for differentials. So, mm. if, if I get get with them and get over there, I might actually be able to talk to somebody about uh, getting my uh, AR, ARBs finally installed. Oh, yeah. It'd be go. really nice to have all this stuff taken care of and then still have a transfer case that doesn't work.
4: <laughs> right. Aye, aye,
3: aye. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tony, you could always make the, uh, what is this, 16-hour drive uh, up here, and uh, we'll have a little work party and uh, bust it all
0: out in the weekend. Oh gee, damn transfer case. Dean, uh, I I wish I had a spare five grand. actually, I think it's about 3,500 for an Atlas. Uh, but man, it would would be nicest to be done with that. I would never have to worry about a transfer case again.
3: Well, it's officially a new year and that means setting up those off-road events calendars. Got to get those dates in early, right? So why not send that info to us as well? If you know of an off-road event that's happening in 2018, but well, we want to know about it too. No matter how big, how small, we want to get the word out to the whole world. Shoot us an email with some details, and we'll be sure to add it into the show. Better yet, call our 24-7 voicemail line at 530-675-4102 and leave a message
0: night or day telling us about the event in your own words. Hey, please take a moment to take our survey at JeepTalkshow.com survey. Love hearing from our
3: listeners We're on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, Google+, pretty much the whole interwebs, guys You can find us Just go to your favorite social media or website or search engine and search for Jeep Talk Show You will
0: find us Join us on the Jeep Talk Forum Pictures, stories, more detail, how-to, or ask questions of the host That's JeepTalkForum.com
4: And you can call us anytime and leave us a voicemail at 530-675-4102 And you'll even hear it on our show
3: almost certain and don't forget guys we have a free application for your phone or tablet just go to apple store or the google play and search for jeep talk show
4: and if you're making a purchase online or at amazon be sure and go to jeeptalkshow.com amazon first
3: don't forget jeepers we want to hear your suggestions for guest interviews here on the show drop us a line let us know who you would like to hear on the next jeep talk show interview
4: Hey, folks, and don't forget, you can go over to my blog at www.jeepmama.com, and you can follow me along my awesome Jeep journey.
3: And of course, if you need a voice for your product or business, be sure to check out my professional voiceover services and commercial production at thevoiceofjosh.com. You can reach me directly, josh, at thevoiceofjosh.com.
0: Hey, Tammy, you're doing some YouTube videos now, too, aren't you?
4: Um, yes, I, I vlog now. <laughs> video blogging. Um, it's called Jeep Mama's Garage. It's at my YouTube channel.
3: Well, that's it for this week, guys. Until next week, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. Friend us on Facebook, circle us like vultures on Google Plus, and above all else, be sure to tell a friend about the one and only Jeep Talk Show. No matter where you're wheeling, if you pack it in, pack it out. Keep our outdoor recreations in good condition, if not better, than they were when we arrived. Be sure to check out treadlightly.org to find out how you can tread lightly on our public lands. <laughs>
0: Since 2010.
2: Colin Sweet Cheeks.